Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Roar Lines Radio. This is Nick Pollock, not Bill DeFilippo, hosting tonight's episode. Bill was unavailable tonight, but we had the opportunity to bring on a special guest who's here to provide some awesome insight into USC, so we're just going to go ahead and do this thing without him. But you'll hear Bill's sweet, sweet voice back on the next edition of the podcast. Uh, in today's episode, we're joined by one of my longtime friends from home back in New Jersey who would likely not be someone that many of you would like to befriend right now due to the fact that he's a Michigan grad and currently covers USC for the LA Times, but I promise he's a good guy. Uh, so I'd like to welcome Zach Helfan to the show. Zach, how are you doing today? Hey, Nick. What's going on? You know, not a lot. I'm looking forward to this bowl game, though. It's been a while since Penn State's been in a game like this, and I, I mean, I guess USC obviously is a little more high profile, but kind of in a similar boat. Yeah, I'm really excited for this game, and it's 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 been a while for USC too. Uh, that I mean, they both went through sanctions and NCAA stuff, and and uh, you know, I think surprised a lot of people on both sides that they made it here. I think if you would have polled everyone in the world after September and asked if they thought there was going to be a USC Penn State Rose Bowl, I don't know if you would have gotten one affirmative answer on that. Yeah, exactly. It's like if you had told people back in September that they'd be playing in a bowl game. I think Bill said this a couple episodes ago, but you'd be thinking that that's like the Foster Farms Bowl or something like that. Yeah, and the Foster Farms Bowl, that's not where you want to be. I, I was there <laughs> I was there last year covering UCLA. It's not where you want to be. <laughs> so actually, I, I forgot to ask you this before we started recording. Are you just full-time USC now? Yes. So I was, for the past two years, I covered USC and UCLA basketball. Um, but now I am just full-time USC football and so and basketball too once the football season is over gotcha gotcha so so earlier this week Bill Dan and I covered the Rose Bowl more from kind of like the Penn State side of things although we did spend a good amount of time fawning over Dory Jackson and talking about how he is everything people think Jabril Peppers is but actually puts up the stats to back it up uh, but today we're going to hear a little bit more about this matchup kind of from the USC side of things from someone who knows the team better than most of us do um, but to do that, we're kind of going to start at the beginning of the season. So, like Zach said, early on, USC did not start off well. Similar to Penn State, had a really, really rough September. Started off 1-3, actually worse than Penn State did. Um, so back then, what were kind of the feelings surrounding the team and surrounding Clay Helton? Well, I'd imagine it was a lot like it was with James Franklin, um, where there were some people who wanted him gone, and he had only been around, this was his first full season. So he inherited the team last year uh, in kind of a weird situation after Steve Sarkeesian left. And he, they, had, they, they made the Pac-12 championship game, so he did all right. But it wasn't really up to the standards that USC thinks it wants to be at. Uh, so at the beginning of the year, they started out 1-3, and, and people were kind of wondering if he was going to make it the entire season. Uh, so it was, it was an odd situation where um, people were wondering if... if you know, how, how long do you give a coach at USC to kind of figure things out? So after the they lost to Utah on the road, and, and after that game, um, they called a team meeting. It kind of got pretty emotional. There were people that were crying. Juju Smith-Schuster, one of their best players, uh, wide receiver, said that he cried. So it was kind of an emotional team meeting. And after that, and also Sam Darnold came, came in and became the starting quarterback at that Utah game, 
that was really the turning point in the game, in the season, I think, that Utah game. So they were really in a rough spot. We were wondering, you know, it, it seemed like every day something was going wrong. There was, uh, you know, people getting kicked off the team. There, there were reports, there were rumors that one of the players had punched Clay Helton in the face, uh, which wasn't true, but <laughs> it was just it was kind of, yeah, it was just kind of an example of how crazy things got around here. It seemed like every day we went to practice and something new would pop up. So it, it, it was really night and day. And I think a lot like Penn State was too. Yeah, for sure. It it's I mean, we'll kind of get what like for, for Penn State at least I'm kind of the big turnaround. It, we didn't really hear a lot about any um like just personnel player only meetings or anything like that. It was more it was more just a change in the philosophy on offense. It's when uh, they kind of started giving Trace McSorley a little more freedom to use his legs um, instead of just trying to force passes. And it seems like with the addition of Sam Darnold to the starting lineup, that's kind of what changed for USC too. Not that, not that they were holding Sam Darnold back, just that Sam Darnold wasn't playing previously. So is that kind of the biggest thing that's changed on the field? Or were there any like major um, changes in scheme or anything like that uh, after that 1-3 start? There were some minor things that got better. I mean, the defense got a lot better, and their defensive line was very young and has matured and, and turned into a strength at this point. So that was a big improvement. But really, the big thing was Darnold. And you could also, I guess, another minor thing. that They, they finally got both of their uh, offensive tackles healthy and playing together. Uh, Chad Wheeler had missed a couple games with a foot injury. Zach Banner uh, sprained his ankle and missed a couple games. So they finally got back playing together, and that helped a lot. But but really, it's it's been the big thing by far has been Sam Darnold. Uh, and he, he's a guy that was really talented but was young, and, and he lost out to Max Brown, a former number one quarterback recruit who's going to play at Pitt now next year. Uh, he lost out to Max Brown in the uh, preseason, in training camp, and it was a really, really close competition, a lot closer than anyone expected it to be. And I thought that Sam Darnold was actually in the lead in, right until maybe the very last practice when Max Brown had a really good practice and I think convinced the coaches that he could handle it. And I know that there were some coaches who wanted Darnold all along. Um, but really, when he came, he made the offense, when he became the starter, he made the offense so much more dynamic. He, he's a guy that has got a really big arm, but he, he makes decisions really, really quickly. So he always seemed to find the open receiver. And there were games where USC had 11 different guys uh, catch passes from him. He spreads the ball around, and he can also run. So he, he's really good at avoiding the rush. He's only been sacked, I think, five times this year. Uh, I'm, I'm not entirely positive. I think it's five times. Uh, he's really good at avoiding, avoiding the rush. He's a big guy. He, he's not the fastest, but he's fast enough, and he could burn you with his legs when he needs to, and he will. Uh, so he just made the offense so much more dynamic, so much more three-dimensional, where before they would try to run it and try to establish the running game and then pass off of that, and it didn't work. So once he, once he, Darnold's, I think, ascension to the starter, to the starting position was really the turning point. I mean, you could look at the team meeting. I think that was big too. But really, you know, nothing happens without Darnold in there. The way you describe Darnold is kind of what makes this game so interesting for me because I think if you are talking to a Penn State fan, you could have said that whole blurb you just said about him and just inserted Trace McSorley's name, and it would be exactly the same and true. It, I mean, the Penn State offense it spreads the ball around. He is not a burner, but he can get on a guy if you're not paying attention. It's, just, it's that. That's what I think is really interesting about this game. And for most people listening to this podcast, we know what Penn State needs to do to win games. But for USC's side, what is kind of their like winning formula? What is it they need to do? If they're winning a game, what does it look like? 
I think it starts with the the running the rushing defense. When you look at what they did against Washington, and that was probably their best game of the year. They went into Washington, they won 26-13, and it was probably not even that close. They they they, they dominated that game on the road against an undefeated team that's in the playoffs now. And the way that they did that, their 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 passing defense was, was very good too, but they held Washington to 17 rush yards. And Washington at the at the time was the leading rushing team in the Pac-12. They have a very good running back. They have a very good offensive line. Uh, they have a good passing game, so you can't just crowd the line of scrimmage. And, and USC really just dominated the line of scrimmage in that game. And, and you look at the push that their their defensive tackle Stevie Tuikolavatu was getting. He, he was on, I would say, a majority of the plays in the second half, getting three yards, five yards of penetration on almost every play. It was it was a pretty dominant performance by that defensive line. I think when USC is really playing well, you, you know Darnold's going to play pretty well. He, he's he's a gamer. He's a good player. He's pretty consistent. You know he's going to play well. You know they're going to have big plays from Adore Jackson or Juju Smith-Schuster or Ronald Jones, uh, or, or at least one of them uh, in most games. But when that defensive line is playing like it is, they're a really tough football team. So I think if, if, if you're looking at one thing, you know, is this go, going well for USC, you're going to look for that defensive line. So on the other side, when that defensive line kind of isn't playing up to that level, is that is that one of the main signs that this that the game probably isn't going that well for USC? Yeah, that was one of the breakdowns against. Uh, well, I think in in all of their three losses early in the year, they got gashed by Alabama. They, they held their own in the first quarter. A lot of people forget that USC actually had a pretty impressive first quarter. They were winning three nothing against Alabama, and you're thinking, oh, maybe they could hang with them. And then they just started getting gashed in, in starting from the second quarter on and lost 52-6. to six. Uh, So the game turned really quickly, and it was a lot because the defensive line, which had played really well in the first quarter, did, played really bad in the second quarter, third quarter, and fourth quarter. The same thing against Stanford. They weren't horrible against Stanford, but they weren't getting a pass rush, really. And the same thing against Utah. U, USC played better than Utah in their loss to Utah. Uh, and then gave up two touchdowns late in the fourth quarter to lose that game. And a lot of the reason was because the defensive line was really tired. And also because the, even even earlier in the game, they weren't generating a pass rush. So so uh, they were just giving the quarterback a lot of time to sit back in the pocket. And he, to, and he was able to make some plays at the end. So I think they're a big reason why USC has had success late in the season. And they're a big reason why they are not in a position to maybe be in the playoff because of those losses early in the season. So something you said there about the defensive line, um, kind of one of the problems was them getting tired. Something Penn State does really, really well is rotating their defensive linemen. They go probably five or six guys deep at tackle, five deep at defensive end, and they really all play. I know USC kind of plays an unorthodox style on defense. It's almost, I mean, they seems like they play in the nickel a good amount of the time. How much rotating do they do on that defensive line, or is it pretty much pretty much just the starters that are in there for the majority of the game it's pretty much the starters and this is partly because uh their defensive coordinators clancy pendergast uh, who spent time in the nfl and around the college uh he he doesn't like rotating guys too much and clay helton has gotten him to rotate uh his players a little bit more uh as the season has gone on but he he just likes he thinks you know these are the best guys and i'm gonna stick with them and partially it's because the defensive line is i think the one area where you look at USC and say they're still hurt by the sanctions. I think this is probably the same kind of way uh, 
if you look at Penn State with the linebackers, where that group is still pretty thin. And they've had injuries, too, which has thinned it out. Uh, but it's kind of in the same way where there just isn't much depth at all on that defensive line. So they're going to stick with their, uh, you know, Rasheem Green on the end. They're going to stick with Stevie Tuikolovatu for a majority of the plays in the middle. Uh, they're going to stick with their edge rushers, Uchenna Nwosu and Port Augustine for the entire game. They're kind of a hybrid linebacker defensive end in that weird nickel or 5-2 scheme that, that they run. They, they really don't do a lot of rotating, uh, and it hasn't hurt them a ton. I, I, I think, you know, from the beginning of the season when they had their, for in the, you know, the first four games and they lost three times, I think they've gotten better conditioned. Uh, they played a lot of up-tempo, kind of Pac-12, run a lot of plays, kind of teams, and they were never really hurt too much by the tempo. But Penn State is a team like they haven't really seen before in that they play a lot better in the second half. And I think a lot of it is, like you said, because they wear teams down. Um, so I'm going to be interested to see, you know, how well they've kept that conditioning up over this layoff. Yeah, that's one of the kind of the main drawing points for this game for me is that contrast between how the two teams have played in the first half to the second half. First, first half, Penn State's a pretty average team, but in the second half, especially the fourth quarter, they've pretty much been almost inarguably the best fourth quarter team in the country, whereas USC has been dominating in the first half, and in that second half, they start to wear down a little bit. I think that's kind of one of the most interesting parts of this game to me, other than the fact that obviously both offenses are really explosive, but they've kind of done it in different ways. Penn State's gotten by on being really um, explosive and getting those huge plays, and then doing a pretty solid job of finishing drives, whereas USC, and this is according to uh, Bill Connolly's S&P Plus Numbers Football Study Hall, which we refer to a lot, um, and then USC has done a really good job of being efficient on offense, so it's it's kind of a really interesting contrast of styles, and it's kind of similar to the way USC probably hasn't seen a team like Penn State. Penn State hasn't really seen a team like USC this year, so it should lead to a pretty interesting matchup in that regard. Yeah, USC, you'd think of them as really explosive because Darnold's a guy who likes to improvise. They have guys like Juju Smith-Schuster and Adoree Jackson who sometimes plays on offense. And Ronald Jones, too, who's, who's an explosive runner. But they really are. I think you're right. They're efficient. They're, I don't know what they're gaining exactly, but yards per play. But every game, it seems like they're gaining seven, eight, nine yards per play on average. They just have these long kind of wear them out drives. Whereas Penn State, like you said, the, the toughest thing I think that USC's defense is going to have to deal with is when they get worn down by Saquon Barkley, which you'd expect because he's a very good running back. When you, know, when you get a lot of, of, of pretty decent clips from Saqu- Saquon Barkley, do those safeties and linebackers start to creep up? And I was talking with some of the linebackers today, and they said you know, it's, it's really difficult to not want to creep up a little bit. And I think that's what makes Penn State so explosive. Whereas USC, I think their balance kind of makes them more efficient. It's it's tough to you know it's tough to key on the run because they 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 have pretty much a fifty fifty split with passing and running when they're going well uh, and Darnold's very efficient their running game is pretty efficient so they kind of they 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 like those longer kind of you know ten play drives that go the length of the field uh, so it's, yeah I think it's 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 really interesting because like you said they haven't seen each other you know teams like each other so much this year and us some of the usc players were remarking today i think it was uh i think it was their linebacker Cameron smith who was talking about this really doesn't look like a, a big 10 team you know the the things we were just describing like the efficient grind it out you think of that as a pac-12 team 
I mean, as a, sorry, as a Big Ten team, and that's the Pac-12 team, that's USC. And you think of the explosive, up-tempo, spread kind of team, you think of that as Pac-12, and that's Penn State, the Big Ten team. So it's kind of a opposite of what you'd expect in the Rose Bowl, which I think is one of the things that makes this game really interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really hard to find a more interesting, I mean, aside from the, well, one of the two playoff games, I don't know, Alabama-Washington might not end up being terribly interesting by the end, but, I, I mean, this Rose Bowl is arguably one of the most I mean, it has the potential to be one of the most exciting games of this whole bowl season. Um, so, you mentioned you mentioned Saquon Barkley. Is he is he kind of the guy that USC is targeting as like the their biggest concern in this game, or is it, or is it maybe the the deep passing game of Penn State that just inexplicably works so well despite Trace <laughs> McSorley not having a very strong arm? Um, who? What kind of? What are, what are they keen on? What is the thing that they think they need to stop to win this game? I think their focus, and this Clancy Pendergast, their defensive coordinator, his MO is is kind of take away the team's strength. So if you do two things well, great. He's going to pick whichever one works best, and he's going to try to take that away. And he's been pretty good with that. I think if you go all the way back, this is kind of a little bit of a tangent, but if you go all the way back to when Oregon was really good, I think this was 2010. The first defense that was able to shut Oregon down was actually a pretty mediocre Cal team. And that was when Clancy Pendergast was the coordinator, the defensive coordinator for Cal. What he did is he just stacked the box, basically played cover zero for the whole game, and said, Oregon, okay, you like to run the ball. We're going to sell completely out and run the ball, and if you pass the ball over us, uh, you know, I'll power to you. And Cal ended up losing a close game, but it was they, you know, Oregon scored like 13 points or something like that, and lost, like I forget what the score was. It was something like 13-10. And that was the best game that anyone had ever played against that Oregon team. So his MO is kind of take away your strength. And I think when you look at Penn State, their strength has got to be Barkley. I know McSorley's been really good, but I think part of the reason he's been really good is because, like you said, he doesn't have a, the strongest arm, but he's got so much room for error because the safeties start creeping up. And you look at all his long passes. I was just kind of going through. We're diagramming some plays for the newspaper. So I was looking at a lot, a lot of his long passes, and on most of them, the safeties and cornerbacks bite so hard on the play fake, and, and that just leaves the top wide open. So I think if the way USC is going to attack this, and of course they're not saying, but you know, knowing Clancy Pendergast and knowing what USC likes to do, they're, I think they're going to focus a lot on shutting down Saquon Barkley early in the game. I think if they let up a couple you know, medium-range passes, they could live with that, as long as they get shut down Barkley and make Penn State one-dimensional. So that way, in the second half, when it's Penn State... You know, I think part of the reason, uh, again, why they're so good in the second half is, is because they wear teams down with a run and could use the play action on top of that. So I think if it comes to the second half and Penn State hasn't established that running game, USC would be very happy with that, e- You know, even if they've given up some big passing plays, because that makes it so much easier to defend in the second half. So I think that's, I, if I had a guess, that's probably the way they're going to approach it. You know, I don't know for sure, but I think that it's got to be Barkley. Barkley's their best player. So on the other side, is there... Is, do you think there's a single player on USC who's kind of that X factor? Maybe it's, um, I mean, it could be a guy like Adore Jackson. It could be a guy like Cameron Smith, who maybe his one of his main jobs is keeping Barkley contained. Maybe it's Port Augustine, who has, will have a pretty important job of containing that read option. Is there one guy that you um, think the team can point to and say that this guy's the X factor? Uh, you're talking defense or just anything? Uh, I mean, anything. If there's someone on offense, sure. Yeah, I mean, I think it's always a Dory Jackson. He's the most explosive player in college football. Uh, the d- defense, there's no one guy that I'd point to and say this guy is, you know, 
incredible and has, could single-handedly, you know, change the game. You know, there are some guys do occasionally. Uh, like Cameron Smith had three interceptions last year against Utah, but that was kind of, you know, just a weird occurrence. Uh, and but they play a good team defense. But when I think if if you're Penn State, the the guy you worry about, and this is the same for for every team, the guy you worry about is Adoree Jackson. Um, that Notre Dame game, USC's last regular season game, the last game they played actually, um, it was really sloppy and it was kind of disjointed. And USC wasn't running away with the game. And then Adoree Jackson caught a pass in the flats basically and split two guys because he's really fast and took that for a touchdown. He returned a punt for a touchdown. He returned a kick for a touchdown when he jumped over the kicker. He just has the ability. I mean, he, he's a world-class athlete. He almost made the Olympics as a long jumper. He, he's a world-class sprinter too. Uh, but he just has that field sense that those really good, really special athletes have where he can find the hole or create the hole, read the blocks, uh, steps ahead of everyone else and, and break the game wide open. And I think if he didn't score those touchdowns, you take a Dory Jackson off that off USC's team against Notre Dame, things go wrong and they could lose that game. Instead, they ended up winning by a lot. It was, you know, they pulled their starters at the end. So I think it's, it's always a Dory Jackson with USC. He's just such a special talent. Quick aside, just because it's a conversation we had on the last episode, if you're an NFL GM and you have a pick in the first round, and let's just say you kind of have universal needs all across the board on defense, and you have the choice between Jabril Peppers and Adoree Jackson, who are you taking? Yeah, that's a tough one. You know, I've watched a decent amount of Jabril Peppers, because like you said, I went to Michigan, um, and I just like college football. Uh, and obviously I've watched all of Adoree Jackson. The thing with Adoree is he won the Thorpe Award for the best defensive back in college football. Um, I, I I didn't really think he, he deserved that. I think he had, almost had a better case to be a Heisman uh, finalist. He wouldn't have beat Lamar Jackson. But I think he had a good as case as anyone to be a Heisman finalist or to win the most, most versatile award. I forget what that's called. You know, there's too many awards now. But uh, he, as a cornerback, he got beat a lot at the end of the year. So I think if, if, I'm, if I'm an NFL GM... I'm thinking, I think Adoree Jackson probably had a better year than Jabril Peppers. Um, but right now, he's an immediate, Adoree Jackson is an immediate impact player in the return game and better than Peppers in the return game. But I don't know that he's an immediate cornerback impact guy. Uh, he can be. He's very talented. Um, but I think maybe you're a little scared by his size. He, he's small and he's strong, but he's small. So you wonder, you know, is he going to be a nickel back for a nickel corner for his entire career? Is he going to be able to, to handle the bigger, uh, bigger, more physical receivers? Is he going to, um, uh, you know, learn the position because he's he's played offense, he's he's played defense, he's played special teams. He was on the track team, so he hasn't only concentrated on cornerback. So I think for that reason, you kind of look at Peppers and you could put him right into the nickel corner position or you put him right at outside linebacker um, or safety even. And I think he could have more of an immediate impact earlier and he's still going to be a good returner. Um, so I don't know. It's a tough question, but I think generally Peppers is regarded as a better NFL prospect right now, um, which is one of the reasons I think why Dory Jackson is kind of considering coming back because he could show that he could be that lockdown cornerback. So I don't know. I think gun to my head, I would pick Peppers, but it's pretty close. Interesting. Um, so back to this game. Obviously around the team a lot. Um, and it's an interesting situation in that both USC and Penn State are 
probably the two hottest teams in the country. Uh, how would you gauge the USC team? How would you gauge their confidence level going into this one? They're really confident. Um, I think they think they're the best team or the second best team in the country right now. Juju Smith-Schuster said yesterday that uh, that if they played Alabama right now, he thinks they would win, that USC would win, which is I mean, pretty ridiculous. They lost 52-6, to six, and it's a completely different team. <laughs> but I think USC thinks it's either the best team in the country or the second best team in the country. And I'm not sure that they'd be wrong about the second best team in the country. I think if they played on a neutral field against any team, I, I think it would be pretty hard to justify Ohio State or Clemson or Michigan or Penn State or any of the top teams other than Alabama as a favorite over USC right now. Their defense is playing really well. I think Sam Darnold is probably a top three to five quarterback in the country right now. Uh, and they have a good running game, a very good offensive line. They're really confident, and they should be. I mean, I think they have reason to. Yeah, I mean, I've, I haven't looked at it in a while because I'm not going to touch this fo- game with a 10-foot pole, but I think the opening line at least was USC favored by a touchdown. So I think that kind of reflects that. Yeah, I think that that sounds right to me. I haven't looked at the lines in a little bit, but yeah, that sounds right. So um, before we get into predictions for this game, kind of thinking about next year, because um, a lot as Penn State fans, we've been talking a little bit about how strong finish of the season, basically the whole team coming back, probably going to be looking at a top 10 ranking in the AP to start the year. Uh, for USC, it's a little bit different because they're going to be losing Juju Smith-Schuster, uh, possibly losing to Dory Jackson, but then they're going to be keeping Sam Darnold, who will be back for his redshirt sophomore season. Um, obviously, a few other guys could end up making a jump as well. I honestly don't know offhand who is draft eligible, eligible and who is not. Um, but what are the expectations heading into next year? Because obviously Sam Darnold is a guy that some people are talking about as a possibly even one of the front runners for the Heisman next year already. Um, are there expectations that this team will be competing for the playoffs next year? Just kind of what's the what's the feeling around the expectations for next year right now? Yeah, I, I think you, you, you nailed it pretty solid there. Um, Darnold is, is going to be mentioned in the Heisman Trophy conversation, as he should be. I mean, I think he deserves it, and I think he's got a good chance to win. It's, it's tough to you know handicap the Heisman because it's you know sometimes not logical. But uh, he's got a good, as good a chance as any, uh, other than Lamar Jackson coming back. Um, but and, and and I think people thought that if if USC didn't lose to Utah, they might be a playoff team. Um, they probably would have been in the same boat as Penn State, having two losses. Um, so I think people thought that this year this was almost a playoff team by the end of the year. Uh, so they expect with another year of maturity with Sam Darnold that they're. Uh, going to be expected. I don't know if expected or you know considered very likely to make the playoff. I think that the losses that are really going to hurt, even more so than Juju Smith-Schuster and Adoree Jackson, who haven't declared yet, I think they're more likely than not to go. Um, but I don't think it's a lock that either of them are going to go. But I think I, you know I'd be I'd be somewhat surprised if if both of them stayed or if either of them stayed really. But I think the losses that are going to hurt more than that are their two offensive tackles, Zach Banner and Chad Wheeler. They don't really have a simple replacement waiting in the wings. They have some options. They have some pretty decent options. But that's going to hurt a lot because that's a lot of experience, and that's a lot of size. I mean, Zach Banner's like 6'9", um, two, uh, it depends. He's 3, probably 50 right now. It varies anywhere from like 340 to like 370. 
uh, he's a huge guy. You lose a lot of size and experience and talent on the offensive line. And I, to me, I think that's going to be the hardest to replace. Uh, they, they play a team like Texas early on. They always play Stanford. They always play UCLA. They always play Notre Dame. They have a tough schedule where if that offensive line isn't really solid, they're going to be in some sort of trouble. So, I mean, I think the expectations are going to be they're a playoff team. I think that's going to, they're going to be ranked probably top 10, maybe top 5 next year. Um, but I'm not convinced until I see that offensive line and see how they work. I'm not yet convinced. I'm not penciling them in yet in the playoff. Um, although they have the potential to be. But, you know, until I see that offensive line play, you know, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure if they're a playoff team yet. Well, hopefully we'll be back at this time next year doing the same podcast talking about a first-round matchup in the playoff between Penn State and USC. Rose Bowl. Um, the Rose Bowl is the semifinal next year, so we yeah, could be back exactly. in the same place. Exactly. And next year, hopefully, I'd be actually able to come out for that. That'd be fun. That um, would be fun. So, back to the game. I have a couch, that, by the way. Oh, perfect. All right. It's a date. Back to the, back to the game that could springboard one of those two teams into one of those top five rankings for next year. Um, let's talk about your prediction for this game. I gave mine on the last podcast. I I said basically that I don't feel like I'm in a position at this point to doubt what Penn State has done. Uh, I think USC will have a lead after the first half, but I've seen enough from what the Penn State coaching staff has been able to do in terms of halftime adjustments. I think it'll be high scoring, something like 38-31 Penn State or 42-38, something like that. But I do think the Nittany Lions win. Um, probably a little bit of a homer pick, but that's okay. Uh, but what do you think is going to happen? Yeah, I could see that. Um, I've kind of been doubting Penn State since the Michigan loss. Um, I never thought they were very good. And then the Ohio State game, I was like, all right, I'm kind of coming around. And then I didn't think they were going to beat Wisconsin. And then I kind of stopped paying attention to the game in the Big Ten Championship game after they were down 21 points and was kind of shocked uh, when they started coming back. Uh, So, I mean, it's tough for anyone to doubt them at this point. I think, I just think that the difference in this game, as good as Trace McSorley is, I just think Sam Darnold is uh, the type of quarterback that it would be unwise to bet against um, or pick against in in our case, because we're probably not betting. Um, He's just got that kind of it factor where you know that he's going to show up and play in, in the big moments. You know that he's got the arm and the talent and uh, and pretty much everything at this point. It, it's tough for me to pick against him. Um, so I think that my, my score prediction that I, that I put in the newspaper uh, was 31-21 USC. Um, I think that USC has helped out a little bit because this is essentially a home game for them. Uh, yeah. So they got a little bit of bonus there. You think I mean, Penn State fans travel pretty well, uh, but you think there's probably going to be more USC fans at the game than Penn State fans, just because it's in Los Angeles. Um, so I just think that they're both hot. USC's got a little bit of a better quarterback. Um, they're at home, and they're they've had enough time to prepare for Penn State and the kind of halftime adjustments that they make. Uh, and they've also had more time to prepare for Penn State, period, because Penn State had to play in the Big Ten Championship game and then took a week off. And during that week, USC was practicing and they were game planning the entire time for Penn State. So I think that given all that, um, they win 10 points. I don't know. I could have I done three points. I picked 10. 
Don't really know why. Not really a rhyme or reason. I just think USC is going to win, and it's going to be a fairly close game. Yeah, it seems like Sam Darnold a little kind of monstered a little bit of JT Barrett's abilities this year. Kind of because Barrett obviously wasn't the same quarterback for Ohio State this year he was last year. It kind of seems like he's grabbed a little bit of Barrett's kind of it factor, late game magic kind of abilities. So yeah, I, I could definitely see that. I I have no problem with seeing you know, U, uh, USC winning this game. I just yeah, I don't know. Just kind of a gut thing. They're so evenly matched. This should be a good game. I'm really excited for this game. This I mean I mean you said it before. I think even more so, given the stakes, maybe Ohio State-Clemson is a better game, just given the stakes, but Penn State-USC, to me, if you take out the out from the equation, by far the best game of the whole season. I'm really excited for it. Yeah, definitely. It should be a fun one. Um, and with that, that does it for this edition of the podcast. So big thanks to Zach for joining us today. Please make sure you follow him on Twitter at, at ZHealthEnd. His name will be in the title of this podcast, so you can type it in correctly. Make sure you read his work for the LA Times. He does a great job over there. Um, an alum of, what's the, what's the Michigan paper? The Michigan, whatever. The Michigan Daily. Michigan, Michigan Daily. Daily. Alum of the Michigan Daily. So you can... Follow him on Twitter and yell at him about writing for Michigan and Ohio State. Um, please make sure to also follow us on Twitter at RLR Blog. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram as well. Um, although it's too late for uh, your shirt, your shirt uh, to get to you for the Rose Bowl if you're ordering today. We still have some really great shirts in stock. Um, the Big Ten Championship shirts just came in the other day, and they are quite beautiful. And I believe there's still some of those available. So be sure to visit RoarLandsRoar.com and click the store tab to see what's there that you can still buy. As always, whether you're listening on SoundCloud, iTunes, or Google Play, please leave a star review and a comment if you can. It really helps get the podcast into a few more ears each time that you do. Make sure to check back to Roar Lions Radio next week when we break down what will hopefully be a successful Rose Bowl performance for Penn State. Um, but yeah, this is fun, Zach. Thanks for coming on. Nice talking to you, man. Yeah, it's been a while. It's good to hear your voice. It has been, yeah. So for myself and Zach, have a great day, and go State.